Hey, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy from Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group headed by yours truly and uh, presently right now a one-man gang, a one-man army. Uh, I'm usually the one that does all the filming, editing, and everything post-related. Um, and uh, so with that falling on my shoulders, I've uh, been kind of sludging slowly but getting back up through the mire to begin work on uh, post-production duties again uh, after a brief hiatus of uh, self-care, uh, mental relaxation, and burnout recovery. So, uh, yeah, I'm getting the creative juices flowing again. And I have, of course, Mr. Jess Franco and his films to thank for that because uh, when you get in that burnout po- mode, uh, it's good to just kind of veg out and watch some Franco and kind of see his joy and what he does to films and uh sometimes that helps you get your creative spark back again so for me this being episode 79 film number 14 we tackle the film lucky the inscrutable um it's a spain and italy and west germany co-production 1966 uh, original theatrical title and country of origin uh, Spain would be Lucky the Intrepid, Lucky el Intrepido. In Italy, it's called uh, Operation Remedida, Agente Speciale LK, Special Agent LK, Operation King Midas. In Germany, it's called uh, Lucky M fills, Lucky M fills all the coffins, Lucky M filute el sergeant. Alternative titles. Uh, Interhemen Midas, uh, the German shooting theatrical title. The English language shooting title is Operation Midas. Almost like a takeoff of Goldfinger, I would believe, just from that title. Because Midas is King Midas, and everything he touched turned to gold. Uh, production companies, Atlantia Films, SA Madrid. Uh, Darrow Film, out of Madrid. Uh, Fono Roma, out of Rome. Explorer Films, 58, out of Rome. A lot of production companies on this. Uh, CCC Film Kuntz out of Berlin. And finally, uh, Telecine Film and Furnish Production GMB, GMBH, Berlin, uncredited. So yeah, you had basically three, four, five, about six or seven uh, production companies on this film. That's probably why it's kind of hard to get. Uh, or the production distribution rights on it are very tied up, I guess, as we speak, so... Uh, theatrical distributors, uh, Ibicarica Films out of Spain, Rank Films out of Italy, and Excalimkamp, Virgin Slaken, Slak, MBH, uh, Dusseldorf, the same one. Uh, okay, timeline on this. Uh, shooting date, October, November of 1966. Uh, Italian Censor Certificate, June 14th of 67. Played Italy in June 23rd of 67. Like about seven months later or so. It's a good turnaround. Uh, Rome played July 22nd, 67. West Germany, September 1st, 67. Seville, December 18th, 67. And Barcelona, January 1st of 1968. Um, let's see. Theatrical running time. Actually, there's no evidence of a uh, Madrid release. Theatrical running time, Italy, 92 minutes, Spain, 91 minutes, and West Germany, 88 minutes. Cast on this, uh, Ray Danton plays Lucky, the Inscrutable. 
Dante Posani plays Michel, Michel, or Michael. Uh, Barbara Bold plays Connie Candy from Copenhagen. Copenhagen. Uh, Bebe Lanker plays Bebe, Michelle's Serbian girlfriend. The beautiful, awesome, talented, one of my favorites, Rosal Baneri plays Yaka, head of the Albanian secret police. Maria Luisa Pontes plays Madame Linda from Kashmir. Hector Koroga plays Sergei Tovarci, Soviet spy. Marcello Erotti Granzi plays Herman. Uh, gold glasses, counterfeiter. Uh, Dieter Epler plays Hans, assassin with a bad cough. Uh, Teresa Gimpera plays Cleopatra at the basketball. Antonio Semperi plays Archangel, Archangel, executive. Uh, Vincent Roca plays Archangel functionary. Let's see. Mike Brendel plays heavyset gold glasses. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, gold, heavyweight gold glasses henchman. Uh, so we have the. Let's see who else we have here worth noting. Um, Jess Franco plays a blind man selling postcards, knifed in the back. Uh, Zoltan, Hungarian in, in, in Tarent, uh, on Albanian train, and guitar player at Lo Payan, three rolls. Patty Shepard plays a f- telephonist, and looks good. Okay. Credits, director Jess Franco, story Jose Luis Martinez, Mola, and uh, Julio Books. Screenplay, Jose Luis Martinez, Mola, uh, Julio Books, and Remigio Del Grosso, and of course, Jess Franco. Direct photography, Fulvio Testi. Oh, nice. Well, wow, very good cinematographer. Actually, he went up to be a director later on, I believe. Uh, let's see here. Music composed by Bruno Nicolai. And executive producers, we have Luis Mendez, Jose Frade, and what else we have on this? Um, film to Technoscope, and Technicolor, and um, looks good. All right. So that's the uh, credits on that. So, all right. So um, go ahead and save the synopsis. Oh yeah. Once again, we get uh, everything from. The book Murderous Passions, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 1, by Stephen Thrower with Julien Granger. And actually, with this film, uh, Julien Granger actually gets um, some credit because one of his reviews, one of his few reviews, is actually used in this book. So, that's good. Alright, um, production notes. In February 1967, Franco's debut feature, Tinimos 18 scored a few playdates in Madrid for the first time, even playing two theaters simultaneously, the San Remo and the Ibiza. However, it was of little but sentimental interest for Franco at the time. Things were moving on. During the 60s, the Spanish film industry made regular co-production deals with Italy, and it was from Italy that the lion's share of financing for Franco's new project emerged. Another spy story, this time in an overly, an over, an overtly satirical vein, Lucky the Inscrutable, featured studio material shot in Rome and location work in Rome and Spain. 
Filmed during October and November 1966, Lucky the Inscrutable was released first in Italy on June 23, 1967, while the Spanish premiere took place in Seville on December 17th that year. Thanks, no doubt, to Karl Heinz Machkin, the film was also distributed theatrically in West Germany, a market that would become increasingly important to Franco in the next few years. Alrighty, I'm going to kind of go through parts of um, Julian Grangier's review. I'm not going to read it all word for word, but uh, I'm going to go over a few highlights. Uh, Lucky the Inscrutable comes as something of a surprise. It's a Bond-esque comedy caper whose chief pleasures come from the energetic performances and amusing dialogue rather than the action. Franco's take on the genre is typically contrary, working as it does against the standard genre conventions. Rather than portray Lucky as the archetypical suave and sophisticated international fixer of cinematic repute, Ray Danton clearly enjoys himself playing Lucky as a bit of a tosser, but with a nice line in self-depreciation. His costume is deliberately ludicrous. His shirt bears an enormous L on the front. His red pants are worn outside of tights, a la Superman, and he sports a glittering red cape with a rather camp-raised collar. Lucky is even happy to pass the usual bevy of beauties onto Michel, since, according to Danton, he's younger and prettier. Uh, the New York-based, New York-born Danton brought certain audience expectations to the film. Although acting on both the big and small screens since the beginning of the 50s, his first real hit wasn't until 1960 when he played the title role in Bud Boucher's terrific Prohibition-era crime film The Rise and Fall of Legs Diamond, a role the actor repeated the following year in the Dutch Schultz biopic Portrait of a Mobster, The Rise and Fall of Legs Diamond was a big hit in France, Germany, and Italy, and Danton followed actors like Lex Barker and George Nadir into a series of popular action-adventure films, which then morphed into a series of popular secret agent films after the enormous success of Goldfinger. Franco begins the film in the style of a German creamy, with sinister Dieter Epler warning off a group of street toughs before shooting dead a secretive-looking man in his hotel room. In a rather nasty touch, he sets fire to both the body and the large suitcase full of cash. The presence of Epler as gold glasses under the weather as Heston Hans and vivacious blonde Barbara Bold as, believe it or not, an SS transvestite, reveals the presence of a German financier, finance, specifically Arthur Bronner, a fact that goes curiously unremarked upon the Spanish, English, and English language prints, not even the German poster. Um... I'm going to go skip over some of his uh, depiction of the film because we're going to leave some of those key sequences for the review portion later. Um, dialogue is unusually witty. Lucky says to Corny when she recognizes... Okay, um, while Danton is, is good value, his acting honors goes to Rizalbaniri as the bad-tempered, sexually frustrated Albanian chief of police who succumbs only reluctantly to Lucky's charms. Lucky's charms, uh-huh. Um... Later on, she struggles frantically to straighten her jacket and cap before her men re-enter the office, only to realize that she emerges from behind her desk as she's wearing nothing but panties. It's a fine comedic performance, and her embarrassment is a delight to behold. Um, the film's original title, Operation King Midas, presumably referring to a counterfeiter in chief Herman Goldglasses, played with a luggious glee by Franco regular Marcello Erote. Agaragi can still be seen on a secondary title, Operation Arimitio on Italian Prince. All right. Uh, 
Stephen Thor's review. Uh, the 60s craze for lightweight spice booths gets another whirl of the whisk in the curate's egg of a film. One has to say, though, that a distinctive whiff of hydrogen sulfide emerges. Although lucky the inscrutable is hailed in some quarters as a pop art comedy triumph, uh, I'm afraid I must swim against the tide and say I find this film almost unwatchable and excruciating euro-pudding of failed gags and strained irony. Yeah, looks like once again Thrower's uh, kind of slamming this film, so we'll see. Franco had already dabbled in the comedy spy sub-genre with Attack of the Robots and, to a lesser extent, Golden Horn. But Lucky the Inscrutable was clearly intended to stand out, a full-blown comedy satire mixing international locations, comic strip heroism, and absurd sardonic wit. Released in Italy in the summer of 1967, it should have ridden the spy comedy wave just as it peaked. Ho- uh, Joseph Losey's awkward but star-laden modesty blasé 1966, had a embroiled Monica Vitti, Terence Stamp, and Dirk Beauregard in a flamboyant modernist melee. But the most obvious inspiration for Lucky is Daniel Mann's Our Man Flint, 1966, which saw karate kicking James Coburn cut a swath as the eponymous action hero in the tongue-in-cheek romp through cascading Bond cliches. Uh, Franco's celebrity light effort could scarcely be expected to secure him the same international profile, but with a decent script and willingness to sweat the details, he could have moved to a higher commercial level. Instead, as Ray Stanton dons a cheap red cape and clowns around with crudely written speech bubbles coming from his mouth, we're confronted with the Jess Franco equivalent of Rat Finka Boo Boo. Wow. Uh, Luckily, we... Lucky with the hostage to fortune title stiffed at the box office, and I would have to see why. Uh, the film scores just a few laughs along the way, for instance, when the hero attempts to prove that he's a master of disguise by simply removing his gimpish superhero costume, only for various characters to recognize him anyway, as I did rather like the scene in which Lucky visits the Coliseum with the pouring rain, only to find that just about everyone strolling around beneath masked umbrellas a secret agent trying to buy or sell info. Uh, the entire production creaks at the joints, wheezing where it should sing and thudding graciously where it ought to dance. If only the tone had been better judged, it could have been the knockabout satire Franco had in mind. Unfortunately, acting styles clash, comic registers grind graciously against each other, and the wackiness of the premise feels childish instead of surreal. For example, it takes excruciating length of gag time for Lucky to realize that a man passing him a coded message is not simply a pushy street vendor with a speech impediment, but a victim with a knife in his back. No shame on Ray Danton, who went on to direct one of my favorite low-budget horror films, Psychic Killer, 1975, but he's terribly miscast here and very much let down by the script. If he had any hopes for the film, they must have crawled under the table and died as he read his lines over breakfast each morning. So much of the genre relies on sharp, witty repartee, but the screenplay credited to Franco and three other writers limps from one corny gag to another. As for the writing process, one imagines a bunch of fusty old industry ruse. Their best work probably anywhere on comedy sprawled across the coffee cafe table on their third ball of vina. That's yeah, so stupid. Um, Uh, after the first hour, after the first half hour, the film settles down into a little dropping much as the failed comic strip contributes to become a rather much more conventional spy thriller. Uh, to summarize, this is as refined as torture as only failed comedy could be, and one of the three or four Franco films I never want to see again. Wow. Oh, okay, so that's uh, something I have yet to look forward to because I haven't yet watched this yet. So. 
but yeah, I don't know. I, I, uh, sometimes his opinions are really bad and I don't think they're as bad as he says they are. So we'll see. All right. Franco on screen, uh, unusually appearing, unusually, unusually appearing in three distinct roles. Franco plays a postcard vendor, a guitar player glimpsed in Lo Pagan and a Hungarian vagrant encountered by Lucky and Michel while hiding out on an Albanian goods train. The latter role gives Franco a chance to show off his ability as a character actor as well as furnishing Danton with a tasty put-down of the director. You know something? I don't trust that fellow. He has a funny smell about him. Cast and crew. Uh, Ray Danton's career oscillated between mundane TV excursions for mirrored American network shows and a variety of oddball European movies. He was Sandokan the Great in two back-to-back movies for Luigi Capano, Sadokan El Ricosa, 1964, and Sadokan Contro La Leopardo de Serzac, 1964. Played super spies in Maurice Labro's codename Jaguar and secret agent Super Dragon, 1966, and a saint surrogate in Suboretto Solo Evolta, 1967, made immediately prior to Lucky the Inscrutable. The handsome and sorely underappreciated Italian actor, Dante Posani, who plays Lucky's sidekick, Michel, ought to have been a regular and fixture in Italian thrillers as Ray Lovelock or Jean Sorel, but instead his career fizzled after a trio of spy spoofs. Umberto Lindsay's Criminal, 1966, uh, Pierre Vivaldi's Mr. X, 67, and Franco's Lucky the Inscrutable. Uh, his big chance came the year before in the form of the spaghetti western called Jim Golden Poker, a title that must be said promises much, although the film is merely a jumble of cliches. Music. Just as the film had seduced its fair share of fans over the years, the soundtrack too has its admirers, but for me it's horribly alienating. Surely, I need only say, Shabba-dabba-da, and evoke that nightmarish swingle swingers to explain the twittering inaity that passes for humorous music here. <clears throat> or language. And besides, does not the notion of humorous music provoke a grimace from all reasonable people, especially when it's Italian? Unlike the roughly contemporary Fulci comedy Operation St. Pietro, 1968, Lucky the Inscrutable does not feature the actual Ward Swingle sin- s- singers, Ward Swingle singers, but Bruno Nicolai's uncharacteristically awful score draws liberally from their lexicon and makes a comic chasse over the rooftops of Rome about as endurable a comic chase over the rooftops of Rome about as endurable as root canal surgery on a roller coaster wah, wah, wah. Uh, the one silver lining is that Lucky the Inscrutable is the film that brought Jess Franco and Bruno Nicolai together they became firm friends and Nicolai as prodigiously talented composer breathed musical elegance and avant-garde invention to Franco's Count Dracula, Nightmares Come at Night, Bloody Judge, Eugenie, and A Virgin Among Living Dead, among many others. Yeah, I'm a big Bruno Nicolai fan. I would probably enjoy him more than Daniel White, but they're neck and neck, definitely. Studios, uh, filmed at E Studios Verahermoso, Madrid, and Ilioso Film, Rome. The Prints for Egentia Special El K, Operacinia Remita, and Lucky the Inscrutable at a third studio, SCO, at a Rome. Locations. Exteriors were shot in Madrid and the region of Mernica in southeastern Spain. The chase scenes by train were filmed on the Sugar Train line running through the sugar cane fields between Chimpion Puzolosa and La Providia in Madrid. Filming also took place in the Sierra Minera, 
a mining district, and the mining town of La Unico in Marucca. The key Moroccan locations were the city of Cartagena, specifically Mazaron, Le Ezora, Cabo de Palos, Plaza Heros de Cavite, or Cavite, uh, Santa Lucia, Caleril, and the Cartagena Docks, and the regional capital itself, where shooting took place at the Casino de Morica. In addition, Franco's crew visited the island of El Sagrosa, the seaside bay La Manga de Mar Menor, including the Hotel Intremaris, and the Bay of the Hamlet of Portman near La Yunon. The scene in which Danton and Posani encounter Franco himself was shot on the train from Cartagena to Los Blancos. Connections. A veritable avalanche of James Bond parodies packed out Rome's film studios between 64 and 1967. Although Bond was not the only influence, another from another was the internationally popular American TV series, The Man from Uncle. Certainly, certain episodes of which were carved up into feature-length movies and released throughout Europe between 65 and 68. Future horror maestro Fulci, Lucio Fulci, was among the first to embrace the format with his Franco and Ciccino versus Triple O Two Agente Sergio Mincini, nineteen sixty four, and Double O Two Operaciones Operaciones Luna, nineteen sixty five. When it comes to Euro trash crime capers with comic strip overtones, it's a shame Franco didn't try the alternative angle with a dashing super criminal instead of a wise crapping wise-cracking super slew. See Criminal, 1966, a confident example of the format starring handsome blonde actor Glenn Saxon, directed with brio by future giallo specialist Umberto Lindsay, and of course, the most ravishing of pop art crime capers, Mario Bava's Danger Diabolique, 1968. Uh, James Bond was not the early influence on Lucky the Inscrutable. Comic strip art was also the key to Franco's approach. Sign posted by certain contrivances in the film, notably a handful of crude speech bubbles superimposed over the action. Um, it's worth pointing out that James Bond had made the transition to comic strips very early on, between six, 59 and 66. Eight of Fleming's Bond novels and three of the Bond short stories were adapted into comic strip format by Henry Gambridge and John McLansky, with another one, Dr. No, adapted. Adapted by McLusky and Modesty Blase, creator Peter O'Donnell. Um, Alright, so. Okay, so that's what they have written on that film, Lucky the Inscrutable. Um, I'm probably going to be watching that within a day or two after recording this uh, intro segment for it. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching it. I have a, a DVDR that I got off the gray market. Um, it'd be nice if they released this decently on uh, DVD or Blu-ray, of course, nowadays. Um, in a proper format, you know, playing off of some of the Austin Powers things and other things, but I don't know. It seems like that ship has probably sailed, but uh, to go mining for more just Franco films, maybe they'll decide to fo- follow this because it's one of his earlier films in the catalog that still has yet to find a proper... Uh, United States release, even back in the day of DVD, it never came out over here, and films on either side of it did, so, yeah, but, uh, we'll see what happens one day, so, 
Anyway, um, if you like the show and you dig it, please uh, download episodes. Please subscribe. Uh, every Wednesday morning we release a new episode into your mailbox, so you can always look forward to that. Um, let's see. Uh, tell a friend. Let the other people know about this website. I'm sorry about this podcast if they don't know about it. Uh, let them know about the Franco Observer podcast. We are a podcast that originates out of a town in Northern California, and it has listeners literally around the world. We have people that listen to us weekly and subscribe all the way from um, West Coast, East Coast, down in Mexico, up in Canada, across the Great Britain. We have people listen to us in Norway and Sweden. Denmark and uh, Spain and Brazil and uh, some of the uh, east areas uh, has some people listen to us for in Japan not weekly listeners and stuff and uh, China and stuff but uh, yeah mostly uh, northern Europe and western Europe and uh, South America and of course America and Mexico and Canada so it's good I appreciate it it makes me always want to uh, figure out ways to keep this going every week as I record this right now, I'm sitting in a garage in a uh, downtown location, kind of working away, but uh, I have a few, about an hour that's extra right now, so I decided, hey, let me bring my equipment and let me uh, do a little on-location kind of uh, episode to uh, fill up some time, because sometimes we have these open hours of our lives that we always look back and say, oh, I should have did this, should have did that. So on this last day of this little excursion, I decided to knock out an episode or maybe two of uh, the intros for this, the Franco Observer podcast. So, all righty. Well, thank you for keeping to listening. Uh, we're going to go ahead and do the, uh, oh yeah, let me just do this little plug real quick, finish up these before we jet on to the other side. Uh, you can get a hold of us on website or uh, email you can get a hold of us at one word franco observer at yahoo.com you can find us on facebook and instagram pages under the franco observer podcast and uh let's see oh yeah and uh, we have a donation button if you ever feel like donating some money you can always use it i'm a starving artist and like we all are so all right so all right thanks guys for listening buenas noches arrivederci all that good stuff and uh Hang on through the bumper, and on the other side, I will tell you my review of Lucky the Inscrutable, and uh, we'll see what items click and tick off the Franco checklist. Keep listening. Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans, it is I, your host, Jason Rudy, and I just got done watching the film Lucky, also known as uh, Operation Remedia, Agent Special LK. Um, yeah, that was the version I watched. It was English with uh, subtitled. I think it was uh, Italian subtitles. So, yeah. Um, truth be told, uh, I did not enjoy this. Uh, this is like about two films now back-to-back. Um, the other uh, was it Cards on the Table um, or uh, Golden Horn yeah Boarding School for Spies right before this 
Uh, yeah, those two, Golden Horn and Lucky Man, these are just two of the worst Franco films in this period. Films 13 for Franco, uh, Unlucky 13 for me, Lucky 13. But yeah, and then of course the 14th film, Lucky, which is Unlucky as well, film 14. Yeah, these are not good films. So um, let me go through, and this is going to be kind of shorter because... Uh, you know, the things I don't enjoy, I don't speak a lot of, and I would rather not speak too much negativity because uh, I don't deal with negative energy. So, all right, here we go. Let me hit you with the synopsis and then uh, tell you what I thought and go over the list and uh, call this a day. <laughs> no, actually, we'll put some time in. So, all right, here we go. Synopsis. In a London hotel, a man carrying a suitcase full of dollars is murdered by a killer with a heavy cough who sets fire to the cash. At a posh society party, secret agent Lucky is persuaded by the shady global organization Archangel to find out who is responsible for the appearance on the world financial market of millions of fake dollars. His investigation leads him to Rome, where, at a busy market for international spies, convened at the Colosseum, he hooks up with Michel, a handsome young Italian agent, between then, they learn that the counterfeiters are based in a factory in Albania. Traveling to the communist country by a private plane, they are hit by mortar fire. Lucky and his companion parachute to the ground and continue their investigations. They discover that the counterfeit plates have been moved to another location, the Spanish island of Lopagan. There, they make contact with the female owner of a nightclub with unsavory criminal connections, and with the help of a beautiful dancer, they finally trace the evil organization. However, all is not as it seemed. Lucky discovers that Miguel is a double agent, and the archangel organizations are crypto-fascists. Yeah, so that's the story. Um, this is an odd film. It's like, it tries to be a few things. Um, it's like a Pink Panther movie before the Pink Panther. I think 66, actually. It might have been pretty close when it started. It's There's parts where it's like the humor is trying to be like a slapstick, like a Blake Edwards would do later, or current, whatever time frame this was. Um, and uh, it, very, uh, it just fails miserably on all those points. Um, parts where they're trying to fight, he goes through a fake wall. And uh, parts that remind me of Clouseau, how lucky he's just so oblivious to things around him and people falling around him and dying and stuff and and just you know just milking things trying to be funny um there are one or two brief things that maybe succeed in a chuckle but other than that just misfires all around in my opinion um yeah the guy uh ray danton looks like he's trying to be a poor man's uh dean martin type guy where he's like just this supposedly ultra suave you know, handsomer than God himself that women just go crazy over. Almost like Louis Constantine, but uh, a little more believable for this guy. But yeah, just totally, totally a himbo all the way through. Um, Rosalba Neri, though, which is the reason why, well, I, mean, I have to watch this anyway for con for completion's sake, but Rosalba Neri is very beautiful in this as the head of the Albanian uh, secret police. Um, there's a scene where she makes love to Lucky, and uh, it's shown in a series of of uh, freeze frames, but she's moving in the shot, almost like comic book panels with uh, text and kind of like thought bubbles and, and talking bubbles 
drawn on the frame. And those are kind of cool scenes. You see that a few times in this film where they try to copy the Fumetti uh, Italian comic style. Um, yeah, it's weird. Like I was saying, it's trying to be, it tries to be a lot of things. It tries to be a spy film at times with straight ahead action. There's a couple good action sequences where they're being chased and they like jump on a train and, and the timing of it's really good. And, and, uh, some fight scenes and stuff that they play straight. And then it tries to be a spoof where they do things goofy, where it's, they have all these secret weapons that they can throw a pill that can throw, kill 20 people if it hits them like a like a grenade and just kind of silly things that they goof around with, but they play for that. Then it tries to be a fumetti like comic strip type of movie, which is, I think the main goal of what they're trying to do. They succeed in that part. And, uh, but yeah, they, they, they definitely played up for laughs and try to be topical or try to be, um, you know, very goofy and, and f- farcical. And, uh, yeah, I, don't, I just, just kind of strays from me, you know, it just tries to be part like danger diabolique or, uh, like, uh, modesty blase or something like that. But yeah, I just, I don't know. Not, not one of my favorites. Uh, okay. Let's see. So what am I going to go over before I hit the list? Uh, some little parts I had, um, I did like the credit sequence is decent. Um, the year is really cool. Uh, there's actually cool, of course, with every Franco film, there's always really great locations in this film. Uh, great costumes. There's a nice masquerade ball scene. That's really cool that he uses, uh, inspiration for later on in a later film, the girl from Rio, which is a little bit better film than this is. Um, yeah, I said very inspector Clouseau ish supposed to be funny, very corny dialogue. Way too much dialogue in this, and just stuff that goes in no direction. Um, the Albanian escape sequence was a good action sequence. Um, Franco's few times on here. He plays a Hungarian uh, hobo on a train, and then he plays um, a... Uh, let's see who does he play later. Oh, he plays a guy that gets a knife in the back before that, and I think he has like a third part in this film. So, uh, I did like uh, the return of Mike Brindell. He was in uh, Death Whistles the Blues, and one other film before this, uh, but yeah, he's got the great big stone face guy. Uh, yeah, so he, he's in this. This is his third film already by that time. Um, there's a scene of Rosalba Neri where she is sitting behind the desk in her uniform and she gets up and you realize she has no pants on and she's got little uh, underwear on and she turns around and it's a very great shot of her legs and her ass and that. So that's probably the highlight of the film. Uh, let's see what else we have. Uh, yeah, that's, that's basically that. Nothing too much major on this, um, besides the synopsis. Um, yeah, what I liked about that was that um, there are some decent shots. Um, Franco has some interesting camera positions in this film, some nice setups, some kind of um, artsy, kind of comic bookish pop, pop, poppy shots, you know, uh, like underneath a swimming board or or in a corner of a room, people walking by or over or under, stuff like that. You know, kind of interesting, but... Uh, yeah, interesting trick shots. Really don't save a film like this. All right, let's go over the Franco checklist. Check, 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 checklist. Franco checklist. And uh, we'll see what happens to be on the list on this film. All righty, uh, let's see. Number one, body of water. Number two, sailboat. Number three, boats. Yes. Uh, you see all three of those when they're trying to make an escape later on in the film. Um, of course, to me, sailboats and boats are escape, escapism. So when they need to escape, 
they have to get on a boat in that area, so you see all the boats in that scene. Uh, let's see, number four, palm trees. Not not really palm trees. There's trees in the scene in this film, like in the countryside and that, but didn't really catch a lot of palm trees, if any, uh, but a lot of regular forestry trees, pines and such like that. Uh, let's see, number five, jungle of sound effects. Didn't catch really too much in this. Uh, number six, chained up persons. Yes, just very briefly, uh, when Lucky and uh, Mikhail are are arrested by the uh, Algerian uh, police and Rizal Baniri, they're uh, chained up in a kind of holding cell by their wrists above their head, out of camera frame, so they could just be standing there with their arms out of the frame, maybe not even chained up. But it's implied that they are chained at the wrists above their heads. So yeah, brief chained up person scene. Number seven, dance scenes on stage slash stripping. Uh, well, we kind of have that in the beginning. In the credit sequence, you see a woman who's you find out later is a German agent, and uh, she's kind of doing a little dance in this kind of shiny metallic bikini. Not stripping, but just dancing in it in front of like a, like four or five mirrors that are angled, so it looks like you see many images of her, which is a, a cool, interesting uh, credit sequence shot. And then later on again, uh, you see her in a club when they go in and they're traditional the bar tavern and uh, there's people sitting at tables and she's on stage dancing with her little outfit kind of not stripping but wearing like a bikini and fringe and stuff like that kind of go-go dancing so yeah that's partial credit no stripping because these earlier films what's this 1966 still hasn't done that much if any nudity just on the few horror films before this and that was brief at that he hasn't hit that period yet so all right, uh, number eight, club scenes, dancing. Uh, yeah, well, we, we have a, the masquerade ball in the beginning, which is a big sequence of uh, really nicely shot with a bunch of people and like a big masquerade ball, and they're all elegantly dressed in all different outfits. Uh, the person that's sitting there watching the people come in, taking notes or whatever, checking invitations is like uh, uh, from Mask of the Red Death, which is pretty cool. And um, yeah, so that, there's there's some good sequences in there. Cool actresses, cool uh, outfits and that Cleopatra and, and everybody so she's she's a highlight in this kind of starts the ball rolling um number nine jazz music yes definitely uh as I said earlier in the beginning this is uh Bruno uh, Nicole's um start here and um yeah uh, Bruno, Bruno Nicolai and and uh definitely a good jazzy fun cool score uh definitely probably the highlight of this one of the highlights, I'd say Resolve Neri, and then the, maybe the score would be second, and then maybe like uh, the um, locations and, and such like that. But uh, yeah, so anyway, so yeah, good good score on this. Ten excessive zooms, eleven out of focus shots. No, uh, a few zoom outs from close areas, not as much as the last film, um, but definitely no out of focus shots. Looked looked really good in this film. Everything looked nice. Uh, number 12, mirror shots. Yes, like I said right in the beginning, uh, that opening credit sequence, you have that, is really nice. And then you also have um, got some mirror shots later on. Um, I forgot one other sequence that was pretty fathomable where you see it. It's pretty important. Uh, I have it written down. I forgot where it was. But yeah, yeah, you have it. Uh, uh, da, 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 it? I mean, after the masquerade sequence scene, I forgot where it was. But yeah, so definitely that. Uh, 13, mind control themes. Um, hmm. No, it is all about like counterfeiters, really, and just kind of like 
being a super agent, secret agent, all that stuff. So, yeah, I'd say really no mind control themes in this. Just, you know, they could be controlled by his, like, you know, suaveness or machismo, but that's not stupid. So I'd say no. Uh, 14 magic tongue scenes. No Lena, no magic tongue, as we know. So that's always one of our lessons we learn from this podcast. No Lena, no magic tongue. You have Lena, you have magic tongue. All right, number 15, red light. That would be a negative. Now I think for a second. Yep, nothing. Uh, 16, shape, sheepskin rug or masturbation with a item starting with the letter C. And that's negative on both. Uh, that's later stuff. So, seventeen mad scientists. Um, hmm. Well, you have this Doctor Gold Glasses. He's like this, like uh, kind of Bond villain. He's not really a mad scientist. He's like a counterfeiter, and he like has an island, and he has soldiers, and and he has like this cool machines and stuff. He, he actually has a, like mad scientist equipment, but not scientists, but like inventions. So. I uh, I don't know. He's he's more of like a Bond villain than a math scientist. So a little teeny percentage maybe points on that, but mostly negative. But there is inklings of a scientist because of the equipment and and the layer and stuff like that. So uh, okay, number eighteen, fish tank shots. Didn't catch any of that in this film. Nineteen, talking parrots. No, he has a lot of birds though in his place. He has like a really cool peacock and has birds all around him, but. They don't speak English to him or make jokes or any wisecracks like that. That's later stuff. Uh, 20 in credits, yes or no? Hmm, actually, let me think. Did it? Yeah, I, th- I think there is. I think this is Finn. Actually, I kind of forgot to write that down. So I'm going to say yes because I think, but it's not strongly burned in my head. Like, because this film, which is kind of like... Yeah, it does because I remember there's that explosions and then they... Say, oh, they had no... Yeah, it's funny because this film ends when they basically do a gag where, well, we run out of money, so we don't know how the film ends, and then it just kind of ends. So, yeah, it says Finn. So, yeah, so there is that in there. So, kind of goofy, which sums up this film. Just kind of just there. Just it doesn't know how to end. So, uh, all right, 21, handwritten notes. Um, no, I mean, there's counterfeit... <laughs> counterfeit money, but yeah, nothing like that. Uh, 22, spiral staircase shot. Uh, no. Uh, 23, inept cops. Um, no, it's more like secret spies and double dealings and that and all the different um, countries with their henchmen and, and spies and agents. But uh, I, I guess inept because they're dying and as such, but nothing because of stupidity or nothing like that. Uh, 24, belly chains. Negative. 25, kinks. Um... I'd say it was all Baneary, maybe like whipping the people a few times. There's a scene where she gets mad and sort of kind of whips them with her hands and such. But that's really minimal. And just her in the uniform. Maybe her in the uniform is kind of a, a kink, you know. Um, the kind of the uh, kind of soldier officer look, you know. Um, it's cool, too, because you kind of see her with that outfit. And he, he uses that look later on with 99 Women and, and other f- prison films he does. So you see early shades of it here. Uh, okay, what else do we have? Number 26, Great Headboards. Uh, I didn't really catch that in this film. I didn't really look as much because uh, there wasn't that really many headboards. Uh, there was a few beds and stuff, but nothing that really sticks out. And finally, number 27, Fear or Desire. What is the theme of this? Well, I'd say Desire because he, uh, Desire to, you know, um, have the counterfeit money, and Desire to be wealthy, to 
you know, and that, and of course, fear is on the other side because you have these governments and these the uh, the uh, different uh, people that on the world market that want to keep this counterfeit money off it, so it doesn't destabilize everything. So the fear of that and the desire of money. So I say that's the two of them: is the fear and desire in this. It's probably equal, but I see desire is the main over fear. But fear definitely has a strong argument as well. So. All right. Well, that's about that on that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, if you're a Franco completist and you want to watch all the Franco films, and I, I would recommend, you know, like if you're really serious and you want to like spend some time, you know, and you want to watch them in order. Then yeah. You know, this is film 14. You kind of see where he goes up and goes down. Um, attack the robots is okay. That's 12. Uh, Golden Horns 13, this is 14. So these three films are kind of like a, a, a low period. But um, looking at my notes real fast, let me see. Uh, I know coming up it gets a little better. So we have uh, Succubus next. And uh, then, uh, which I already did, um, the, the Red Lips one. And then the Kissing Monsters second. So, you know, we have some better ones coming up. And then we jump ahead and hit... Justine and Castle Fu Manchu and Venus and Furs, which I have still yet to see. I'm excited to watch that, actually. And finally, Eugenie. Um, and then we're jumping back into film 86, episode 86 at that time. It's a cocktail special. We'll be back in sync again. So, But yeah, you know, any, with any director, you can't be making, uh, you know, five star films each film, you know. So, anyway, this one I'd probably give, I'd say out of five stars, I'd give it like maybe one and a half, maybe something like that. You know, I mean, I'll sit there and bash it, but yeah, there's, like I said, Rosalba Neary's in it, but she's in it so short. She's only in it for maybe like 10 minutes, if that, uh, which is a waste. I, if I had her, I'd fucking put her in the whole film. She did make, make her lucky. It'd be way more exciting film. If she was the lead spy. It'd at least be exciting to look at something to look at the whole way. instead of him, Roy Danton. So, um, but yeah, anyway, uh, I don't know what else to say, but check it out if you want to. It's out there. Uh, I got a DVD-R of it, um, but uh, yeah, it's probably out there on the interwebs. I'm sure it's uh, one of these file-sharing sites from what I've been told, even though I don't do that, but uh, it's it's out there. So, yeah, I don't know. Check it out if you want, but like I said, there's better films. Watch a better Franco film than this if you get a chance to. Uh, also, if you get a chance to, please feel free to donate. We are always accepting donations of monetary value here at the Franco Observer Podcast. Also, uh, download the episode, subscribe if you haven't yet. Uh, subscribe on your favorite listening platform, and you'll have a new episode delivered every Wednesday morning. Um, rain or shine, mostly, uh, but you get to miss a week, so let's keep it that way. Uh, keep everybody keeps listening. I'll keep posting, keep recording, and keep putting them out there. Uh, tell a friend. Please share the episodes. Tell people what you think. Um, by the time you listen to this, it, it's actually already posted now. By the time, um, I, let me go, go back here. As I'm recording this, uh, a couple of days ago, uh, a show I was on, on called Movie Loaf uh, on YouTube uh, was posted, and uh, I'm on that as a guest talking about Jess Franco and the film Vampiros Lesbos. So, yeah, if you're uh, on 
the internet, check out YouTube and the show Movie Loaf, uh, one word, and it's episode five with Jason Rudy talking about Jess Franco. And uh, yeah, we talk about the podcast, Franco Observer podcast, and Vampiro's Lesbos. We talk about Soul Dot Miranda, and uh, you see me getting excited and talking about Franco for about 45 minutes with the host, Michael Keane. So it was a fun time. I enjoyed it. And yeah, so that just got posted. So. Uh, it got posted at the end of February of 2022, so check that out if you got a time. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can. I'm always here on the emails at francoobserver at yahoo.com. And you can get a hold of us on Facebook at Franco Observer Podcast. And uh, i got a Twitter page and Instagram, which I'm not using that much lately, but uh, we got some stuff up there. Check us out and all that good stuff so well i'm going to enjoy this sunny weather here um at the end of february which is kind of crazy to say but it's a nice warm day so i'm going to get out there and enjoy the sunshine here on my day off because i just spent an hour and a half watching lucky the inscrutable and i don't get that time back so i'm going to use what i can and enjoy the rest of the day so I hope you all have a great rest of your day or evening, and uh, I will talk to you soon. Buenas noches. Mm-hmm.